coming up on Gamers Week Podcast. Sneak King is a video game produced by Burger King for the Xbox 360 back in 2006. Alongside cart game Pocket Bike Racer and bumper car battler Big Bumpin', the games were sold... <laughs> Big Bumpin'. <laughs> 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 Do I need to reread that over? No, it's good. Let's go with that take. That, like that's it, the yeah. genuine emotion. Um, everyone and welcome to gamers week podcast like the name says we analyze the best worst and weirdest headlines of the past week in video game industry this is episode two today is tuesday january 4th 2022 my name is ryan aka rye bread aka retro game brews aka fruit cake i guess <laughs> <laughs> go for it just yeah just dive right in right <laughs> and i will be your host for today's conversation and of course i have with me the ever excellent blue and donnie g how are you guys doing today excellent that's awesome same <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and jump into our very important poll for today so if you are not familiar every week on monday we'll be posting our vip which stands for very important poll on Twitter. And if you'd like to participate, you can follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. So the question of the week was, what's the best video game where you ride a horse? <laughs> so our choices were Witcher 3, which got 22.9% of the vote, Breath of the Wild, which got 24.8% of the vote, Red Dead Redemption 2, which got 38.8% of the vote, wow. and Other, which got 135 so this survey was even bigger than the one we did yesterday, which was freaking amazing. So super excited about that. We got over 1,300 votes, nearly 150 comments. So let's actually read some of those answers from the other category. So starting off with the Big Bridge 77 said, Legend of Horses, Trail of Cold Steel. <laughs> legend of Horses? Or legend of Heroes. Well, let's try that again. <laughs> the Legend of Horses. <laughs> I got horses on the brain. You know? Take two. Take two. Take two. The Legend of Heroes, Trail of Cold Steel. The music as you ride down the plains of the Nord Highlands. Epic. Next up is Solid Nope Rope, which I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Is Metal, Metal Gear Solid 5, hands down the best. <laughs> you can get it to poop on command. That's true. And it's effective during gameplay. Awesome. Nicely done. Next up is Game Tripper UK, Skyrim, obviously. As you can walk up mountains. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Next is Axel Hardy, which said the best video game with a horse is Breath of the Wild. Best horse in a video game. Probably one in the Shadow of Colossus because it's temperamental and doesn't just act like a horse-shaped bike. <laughs> I like that. A horse-shaped <laughs> bike. <laughs> and lastly, Mark Parson says, how come nobody has mentioned this masterpiece Barbie Horse Adventure Wild Horse Rescue? I still have it on my Xbox and it gets trotted out occasionally when young family <laughs> members are visiting. When people were mentioning that- The dumb I, tests trotted out. Yeah, it's right. very punny on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to acknowledge it. <laughs> Excellent job, Mark, on the pun. Yeah. Actually, the Barbie Horse Adventure got a ton of, of mentions. It was crazy. And like I said, at first I thought that was a joke and then everybody was in on it. <laughs> and then this one came up and I was like, oh, it actually is a game. There yeah, you go. Uh, apparently it's the underrated horse game of the century. You never joke about Barbie, Barbie horse adventure. <laughs> no, never. And also, um, I like that Red Dead Redemption 2 ended up being the winner because isn't that the game where the horse balls shrink in the cold? <laughs> I believe it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that's some serious attention to detail as far as the horses go. So, like Solid Nope Rope said in Metal Gear Solid 5, that you can make the horse poop, but do his ball shrink. <laughs> I mean, this is important stuff here. Blue, asking the important questions. That's what I do. This is hard-hitting journalism right here. So if you were to take that horse, if you were to walk it into like a cold stream and the, the water gets up, up above the area and then it comes out, like you could, I guess if you're, if you're paying attention, like if you looked at the balls or 
Yeah, if you look at the horse's <laughs> balls before it went in, and then it comes out, and you're like, oh, wow, that's actually smaller. Huh. Yeah, zoom in with that photo mode. This is for science. <laughs> Snap a pic. Yeah. Okay, so Donnie, what did you do? Well done. <laughs> well done. I, I did pick another game, but uh, once I saw that uh, Solid Nope Rope had selected Metal Gear Solid Five, it immediately took me back to that game. I had completely forgotten about it. Um, you ride a horse for most of the game to get from destination to destination, or you can take a helicopter, but primarily it's a horse. And yes, you can make the horse poop on command. How awesome is that? It doesn't get much better. Is there a limit? I, I still I have so many questions. Is there a limit to how much poop you can make or the horse is just like an endless poop machine? <laughs> no, no, there is a limit because I know like I, I, if, you, if the horse has that much poop coming out, it's it's dysentery and eventually it will die like the Oregon Trail. <laughs> so I, I, I think they wanted to make it as realistic as possible. Just like within I think every five minutes or something like that, you could have a. Uh, the horse poop. There's a counter or a timer that resets. It's like, okay, poop again. There you go. This, this horse has IBS. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, peeing mechanics in uh, Death Stranding. So you can always count on Kojima for bodily functions, there you I go. suppose. <laughs> Accuracy and bodily functions. Right. It's, it's, it's Hallmark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. So, Blue, what about you? So... I voted Breath of the Wild. Um, a lot of people in the comments shouted out um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origins. A lot of people shouted out Ghost of Tsushima. And I love all of those games. And so this is kind of a conundrum for me because I have to pick which one is the best one. And that's really difficult. But I will say uh, Breath of the Wild. I think I had the most fun with the open world just causing my own trouble on and off the horse. So that had my vote. But I also like in Breath of the Wild that you can ride basically anything that you can manage to tame. Like, I love to see the people riding bears. It's good stuff. <laughs> can I ride a squirrel? Um, I've not seen that. <laughs> but the, you could do so much in that game, I, I wouldn't put it past it. Nice. Uh, by the way, guys, I have to shut off my AC. So give me two seconds. It's coming across my mic. So Kay. Okay. I am curious as to the temperature in Georgia and why they need their air conditioning running. Yeah, in January. What's wrong with that? Um, what's the temperature there? We just want to know. Uh, I got it set at 70. No, but what's it outside? Um, 43. What? <laughs> <laughs> so inside my house, it's spray foamed. So the insulation is <laughs> really, really good. Ah. It's it really, really hot. Okay. All right. Like, I'm not real good at math, but that doesn't seem to add up to me. So I'm just not going to think about it. All right. That's good. I like okay. it. Okay. Okay. So, Ryan, what about you? Uh, so, I begged Donnie to change his <laughs> choice because I couldn't come up with a better one. <laughs> I got paid under the table. Yeah. I appreciate that, Donnie. I went with a game that I have fallen in love with. Uh, originally, had played it in the arcade and then found out that it had a Super Nintendo release later on in life. And a Sega Genesis release, which I own both. And I absolutely love this game. And of course, it's called Sunset Riders. And so it's not a game, of course, where you spend the entire time riding a horse, right? But there are certain sections in which you do so. And uh, it's one of those games that it takes the Western and just does it right. And I love the style of gameplay, similar to Contra, where it's a run and gun style game. Great enemies to fight with, great power-ups, great bosses, bury me with my money. I was going to say that, man. You stole everything from me. Okay, you know what? Uh, it's, it was all part of that payment that I gave you in order to pick this. <laughs> so uh, it was a package deal, my friend. Wow. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, absolutely great game. Uh, ended up doing this for an RGB high score and uh, had a lot of fun watching folks go through it. It's a, it's a tough, tough game. Uh, it is. But my goodness, it is so fun tough but if you memorize it it's it gets a lot easier right if you're just going in at blind you probably will make it to the first boss and then not much after that <laughs> facts all right so thank you for everybody who did participate in our vi poll so very important poll and definitely check us out next monday in which we will be sending some awesome poll questions your way we don't know what they are yet but they'll be awesome <laughs> they oh, guaranteed guaranteed and I mean, very important <laughs> it's going to go down in history. Yep. Exactly. 
All right. So before we jump into our headlines for today, why don't we go ahead and let our patrons know how much we love them. So Blue, you mind taking this one? You got it. You wouldn't think that a brand new podcast would already have patrons, and frankly, no one is more surprised than we are. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Fruitcake's number one stan, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman71, Great Sayaman81, BNT Zilla Guy, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Producer BTW, Ducks in Disguise, Games with Coffee, Davy PGH, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, and Rye Bread's number one fan. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing, like prizes and giveaways. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek, or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. Excellent. Perfect. So why don't we go ahead and jump into our headlines for the week. Donnie, do you mind taking the first one? I do not. From VGC, a new PlayStation patent describes a system for coaching players. A Sony Interactive Entertainment patent for a player coaching system has been published, filed with the United States Patent and Trademark Office last June, but only published on December 30th. It covers systems and methods for coaching a user for gameplay. The method described identifies when a player has fallen below a skill threshold during a passage of play before providing them with hints to aid their progress. It does so by using a recorded section of gameplay and overlaying images with self-coaching content. Sony said the system could be used to reduce frustration of players of various game genres in learning a new game. The platform holder has filed several related patents over the last few years. They include one for an AI voice assistant called PlayStation Assist, and a system which would enable players to leave in-game text, image, and audio tips for other users. Another PlayStation patent described an Uber-style real-time help service which would enable users to call in expert players to guide them through challenging game sequences. Can you say the Nintendo hotline, anyone? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I'm sorry, but the whole being able to leave a voice message for somebody else (laughs) in the game. Like, can you imagine like you're walking through the games like, Oh, I'm having so much trouble with this. Your call is very important to us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're trying to contact you about your car's extended warranty. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit of a, what year is it vibe? Right. But uh, aside from kind of the awkward sounding execution there, I actually really love this idea. Mm-hmm. The idea of easy modes has been a, a a big deal lately amongst the gamer sphere, and it, I know it's a, it's it's controversial and it's an unpopular opinion. I want to take a moment to separate the idea that accessibility for individuals with physical and mental limitations is mm-hmm. different than making a game easier. Those two are not necessarily the same things. No, not at all. I'm all for accessibility. I am 100% against pressuring developers to include easy modes for people who are perfectly capable of putting in the time and learning to play a game and just don't want to. If you don't want to put in the work, there's all kinds of games that are super casual, super chill, and don't require you to work. But Mm -hmm. you shouldn't force or shouldn't pressure developers who are trying to make a challenging game to give it an easy mode just so you don't have to do the work. Right. This, I think, provides a nice middle ground for those people who are struggling but it doesn't put the onus on the developers to have to accommodate those people. I think the sad part is that the immediate gut reaction for some of this too was like, oh, new gamers, soft. <laughs> they got to have somebody tell them what to do. I remember back in my day, you played a game in the same screen for 43 hours in a, in a row, and that's how you figured out how to play it. And that, that was how it's done. <laughs> you got good, noob. Right. right. And... Where I get that that's a gut reaction to this because immediately it's like, well, what's with the hand-holding? That's what I like about the games that I played growing up because you had to work hard for it in order to achieve it. Right. But that that is, I think, a, a rose-colored glasses look into the past a bit when it comes to that. I think nowadays that if you wanted to learn a hard game, there are plenty of tutorials out there on YouTube that could provide you with some insight if you want to learn that. If you don't, that's your choice, right? You don't have to access this coaching for players or hotline where you call somebody. Right. 
uh, and leave them a voicemail. That's your choice. Back in the day, it wasn't as accessible in order to, to get tips for a game, but there were things like the Nintendo Power Magazine. That's why probably why it was so popular. It was an uh-huh. opportunity to get some tips on those those games. The gamer in me wants to say this is this is something that's soft, but uh, realistically, it, the, the reason that we play games is to have a great time. So why not be willing to allow people who want to go that route to use it? You know, Absolutely. And even going back to kind of around the, the early days of the internet, what did we have available to us aside from video game magazines? We had gamefaqs.com. Yep. YouTube wasn't a thing yet. So if we needed help, we had to scour the internet for um, walkthroughs that somebody had already done for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of games that I've played that I just like, I've, I've hit a wall. I don't know what to do further. I'm trying and trying and trying. Quackshot is a perfect example. I've never oh, made it go. past the first level. <laughs> I said I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be told. I want to figure it out for myself. You will 100% beat that game in one sitting if you just get past the first level. <sighs> I, I think I'll take your advice. Uh, next RGB high score. Uh, no, because no, I'll be out. I'll be out. <laughs> and she'll be forbidden from saying anything. But this also, for me as well, solves one of those things that happens with gamers. And, and, and the example was like Metroid Dread. Remember when that first came out and people couldn't figure out how to get past the first section, right? And then they went online and they gave this game a terrible rating on like Metacritic and all those other sites. Mm-hmm. When all they had to do is potentially, if this was available to them, just hit a button. And it was like, oh. By the way, this is how you're supposed to do it. Here you go. And yeah. there are, yeah, there are games like that where I have just not, it was, I think, Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. I did not know that you could actually block stuff with your cape. Had no yep. clue. So I didn't read the instructions beforehand. I just went into the game blind. I'm like, okay, you shoot, you jump, you grab onto things. Oh, I can block stuff. That makes a, that makes a world of difference. <laughs> I'm really surprised you were able to play through it without doing that. <laughs> it was tough, really. Donnie is a master of the platformer. Yeah, apparently. Now, if he would have listened to this guy who was on his Twitch stream <laughs> to help him defeat one of those bosses, he hey, also would have hey. been as frustrated. Hey, I'm just no saying. Back just it out there. No backseating. I want to bring that up. Because <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to rub it in, doesn't it? It does. It definitely does. <laughs> All right, so why don't we go ahead then and jump into uh, our next article from Nintendo Life. Square Enix president knows you hate NFTs because you play to have fun. Losers, play to have fun. (laughs) Square Enix president Yasuke Matsuda is only going to add that or add to the noise. Matsuda's letter touches upon a wide range of topics, including cloud gaming, AI, and the metaverse, but he devotes a particularly large portion to NFTs and cryptocurrency, and how they can impact gaming. He explains, I realize that some people who play to have fun and who currently form the majority of players have voiced their reservations toward these new trends, and understandably so. However, I believe that there will be certain number of people whose motivation is to play to contribute, by which I mean to help make the game more exciting. It is a blockchain-based tokens that will enable this. By designing viable token economies into our games, we will enable self-sustaining game growth. It is precisely this sort of ecosystem that lies at the heart of what I refer to as decentralized gaming. And I hope that this becomes a major trend in gaming going forward. Now, Square Enix has previously dabbled in the sale of special NFTs and is joined by the likes of Sega, Ubisoft, and EA in looking into the concepts of blockchain gaming and cryptocurrencies in a positive light. Hmm. Hmm is right. (laughs) This seems like there's a catch to this. Right. Square Enix, as all AAA game studios and even smaller game studios and heck, every for-profit business in the world wants they want to make money. They want to control their product and they want to make money. So it seems kind of, hmm, that Matsuda is describing this system of decentralized gaming mm-hmm. where essentially the community takes over the life and the growth of this IP and Square Enix just steps away. That makes zero sense. So is it a, they develop the base system give it to the players and the players make it whatever they want? I think so. Uh, If you think about blockchain-based tokens, so things that you could be able to exchange and maybe 
create on your own and, and like in-game items, skins or something like that. I don't think it's it would be something where they would change the story of the game or the the reason why you're gaming. But maybe maybe <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd have to see it put into play because if you think about it you know not every gamer is going to have the same idea on what the environment should be or what the gameplay should be or the experience so you have mm-hmm. this one subset of gamers who think oh it's this another subset of gamers saying nope it's not that it's this and now you've got a, a competition going on inside that platform for what's the word i'm looking for uh domination yeah mm-hmm. you know? for sure mm-hmm yeah, I I mean, if you think about a game that I think successfully allows player contributions, it's like a Mario Maker 2. Yeah. Anybody can go in and make a level. You can make your level public. Everybody can come and play. Most levels are crap. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> There's a reason that certain people work in game design and that you can't just jump in and with no experience and make something that's of the same quality. That's kind of not the point, though. The point is that it's fun to make it. But to say that everybody's going to find value in what you make, I mean, that's unrealistic. So the only way that I see this sort of system working is if Square Enix has a hella subscription fee or hella you know use fee right. associated with using their blockchain. The other part of me thinks about it too. If you hand the keys over to the the kingdom to the broader public, it reminds me of games like uh, Grand Theft Auto that have been hacked to oh, yeah. Kingdom Come. <laughs> it's basically right? the Wild West out there, right? And if that's decentralized, and all of a sudden you can create elements of the game that make you essentially a god. Uh, I, I definitely will take away from the experience, especially for new players, people who are looking to be late adopters. That's uh, that's not what I think of when <laughs> I want to jump into a game and, and do well with it. But uh, no, yeah, because that changes the experience that you're supposed to have. Yep. And this whole I, I, I'm sorry, but I have to touch on this for a second. I, I realize that some people who play to have fun, some people who play to have fun, you're essentially mm-hmm. I think you're siloing people saying like, oh, there's a small amount of people who play games to have fun. No, there's a ton of people who play games to have fun. And they play games as an escape sometimes too. People aren't just looking at that mindset of constantly making money. And the thing is too, what they're positioning themselves is an opportunity to essentially turn this into a DLC, right? Where you're selling these tokens. And I know that we've been talking about that that is the model that has become extremely popular, the free to play, but pay to win kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, wait till we get to our main topic. Oh, <laughs> juicy. <Spicy. laughs> depressing. <laughs> depressing <laughs> spicy juicy and depressing yeah depending on how you look at it that'll just describe the show spicy juicy and depressing <laughs> but but to, to, again uh, one of the things i think we've we've i've at least uh, asserted in the in the past is that this is what the current gen z generation wants that's what they're used to it's what they like so it's not surprising to me that square enix is making a, a push to this and then seeing it as a <laughs> Uh, a cash cow, essentially. How do you do, fellow children? Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this reads like a little bit, but. It is a bit condescending, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to pass down too much judgment because, of course, we don't know enough details and this is extremely broad what he's saying, but still waiting for somebody to convince me that NFTs are a thing. They're not. They're not real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Yep. <laughs> Next up from Game Informer, Studio Creates Petition to Remake Original Mortal Kombat Trilogy reportedly received Ed Boon's blessing back in 2016. Toasties! Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) If it was up to Eyeballistic, a game development studio with multiple titles in the works, Mortal Kombat's upcoming 30th anniversary would include a remake of the original Mortal Kombat trilogy. In fact, the studio has created a Mortal Kombat trilogy remake petition on change.org to get this theoretical ball rolling. Any studio could create a petition asking to remake a beloved game like this, but what makes this specific one interesting is that Eyeballistic says it received series creator Ed Boon's support for such a remake back in 2016. However, Warner Brothers, which owns the Mortal Kombat IP, didn't bite. 
Although Ed fully supported us, Warner Brothers, who owns the Mortal Kombat IP, was unconvinced that the game would sell over 100,000 units worldwide, and thus they determined it wouldn't be worth the substantial cost of marketing the product for sale, the petition reads. Touching on what to expect from this theoretical trilogy, Iballistic says they are planning to painstakingly recreate every detail of every stage and character in glorious 3D. Of course, every fatality, brutality, friendship, and animality will also be there. The characters and stages will get a facelift to 4K resolution and 60 frames per second. Gameplay action through the power of Unreal Engine 5. We'll even remake all the music by giving it a modern cinematic sound that incorporates real instruments. Iballistic says it would target PS5, Xbox X, and S, and Switch and PC with a $39.99 price tag. The remake would include everything the original MK trilogy had, plus the standard online matchmaking and worldwide leaderboards. The petition is targeting 25,000 digital signatures. It's at 17,000 at the time of this writing, but the studio would ideally like to hit 100,000 before formally approaching Warner Brothers with the pitch. So apparently Warner Brothers hasn't paid attention to Nintendo for the last uh, 10 years when they just remake everything and everybody buys it. I think the difference is that Nintendo games never really go on sale, but you can get like the most recent Mortal Kombat games for like $10. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a difference. Uh, but nostalgia sells. I mean, I've got it uh, does. two Game & Watches that have a g- games that I already own. <laughs> <laughs> That are just sitting there. That's all they do. And they cost me, uh, I think it was more than, if I remember right, more than $39.99 <laughs> to pick up that novelty item. I, I don't think this is a good idea, personally. No? Um, <laughs> no, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, the, yes, the, the graphics for the original Mortal Kombat are a little bit dated. Um, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat 2, to me, they still, they still hold weight. Mortal Kombat 3, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, they still hold weight. So why are you going to remake the trilogy just to bring the graphics into 4K and to allow for online play when I can really go and pick up uh, one of the more recent Mortal Kombat games and play online that way? I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's a good fit. What am I paying for? What am I really paying for? Nostalgia, I think, is what you're running into. Yeah. Is that people want some kind of nostalgic experience. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the classic example would be Link's Awakening, right? Yeah. Where they updated it to uh, 3D graphics. It's the exact same game. And you know what? The the same argument was made, I think, for that one, too, is like, why am I paying full price for a game that I can get really cheap and then I can just play on my Super Nintendo, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Super Game Boy? You know, what? what is it that I'm paying for? But the thing is... Often when it comes to that marketplace is that there are certain people that want to experience that style of gameplay on a modern 4K television. So in a way, it's it's about trying to capture that marketplace. Now, granted, uh, Warner Brothers saying that they didn't think it would sell 100,000 units, they may be right in that regard. The, the <coughs> I, I, but I, I don't. I think that it will probably do gangbusters. But I, it, it to me that says that as far as uh, the target market for that, it may be somebody who wants that experience on their modern TV. Case in point: Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, well, hopefully they in this one they said that they would keep all the stuff and not change anything. Yeah, so. that, I'm not sure that's a good comparison. But a better comparison is the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection that came go. out in 2018. Uh, according okay. to Capcom's website, that sold two million units. But they didn't change anything. They just added they they compiled all of the original mm-hmm. games and made online play available, mm-hmm. and that's it. And that's all you, all you would need for this one, I think, because. There is no modern collection of the original Mortal Kombat trilogy that I'm aware of. Not, nothing modern, you're right. right. Yeah. If you if you think about the original Mortal Kombat trilogy, it was a separate game. It wasn't compiled of all three games itself. Right. So if you don't want to have to go s- search out original hardware, say you don't have it, and you don't want to mm-hmm. play a ROM, it kind of seems like a no-brainer to put out at least a sort of uh, like an anniversary collection, a 30th anniversary collection. seems like Absolutely. that would seriously be a no-brainer i i agree with you guys in that i don't think they should mess with it too much like especially it says a re-recording the the soundtrack with real instruments nah i think you need that kind (laughs) of like old school electronic sound i think with like nice music no that doesn't fit 
Well, what if we add an oboe here? As long as it's not the Genesis version, let's let's stick with the Super Nintendo version because the Genesis version sounds tingy, tingy, ting, ting, ting. very tingy. Yes. So, yeah, there's going to be a million Genesis stands out there who are, are now they now hate you. <laughs> it, no, but the it, when it comes to the actual game itself, the Genesis, Genesis had the blood code. Yeah, they got the blood code, and it's right. a better game for Genesis than it is Super Nintendo. So. It's better, but playing it on a three button gamepad was no. horrible back in the day. No. That's a no for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So why don't we go ahead and jump into our next topic, Donnie? Do you mind taking this one? Sure. From Kotaku, Wrestling Man collects 2,706 copies of Burger King video game? <laughs> what drives a man to spend his time and money procuring a couple thousand copies of Burger King's stealth action ad- advert game, Sneak King? I have no idea. But wrestler and professional thumbtack enthusiast, let me say that again, professional thumbtack enthusiast, (laughs) Leroy Patterson, Leroy, seems to be having a great time doing it. Sneak King is a video game produced by Burger King for the Xbox 360 back in 2006. Alongside cart game Pocket Bike Racer and bumper car battler Big Bumpin', the games were sold... (laughs) Big Bumpin'. (laughs) do i need to reread that over no it's good let's go with that take that that's the genuine emotion the games were sold in late november through december for four bucks with the purchase of a value meal sneak king was a stealth action game in which players take on the role of burger king's creepy plastic headed mascot attempting to deliver value meals to different customers in, in, in what setting? In the restaurant itself or like at their homes? All, all over the place. Oh. It was early DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> they were innovators. It proved the most popular of the three games. And despite smelling of grease and stale fries, more than 2.7 million copies of the trio were sold during the promotion. Leroy Patterson plans to own as many copies of Sneak King as he possibly can. Over the weekend, the pro wrestler, who you may have seen diving into piles of thumbtacks, or not, on national television, posted a photo of his Sneak King collection on Reddit. At 2706 copies, he's quite far from catching them all, while still possessing far more Sneak King than anyone should. (laughs) According to Mr. Patterson, his collection began with one copy of each of the three Burger King games. Then he stumbled upon 50 copies of Sneak King at a thrift store. With 51 copies to his name, he started collecting Sneak King in earnest as a joke. At around 200 200 copies, he started a YouTube channel with friend and fellow wrestler Bobby Ramos, dedicated to chronicling the collection process. In the second episode, the pair rendezvous with a private collector in California where they purchased (laughs) 1,000 copies of the game, which they somehow fit in Leroy's (laughs) tiny car. So a collector had a thousand yes. <laughs> of these. I was going to make a, a sofa table out of it. <laughs> no, he was going to make a regular table, pour there epoxy over there them. It lights up though, so it's okay. I don't think you would get the same outrage if you <laughs> poured epoxy over something. <laughs> Probably not. I love this story. I think it's hilarious. I think that, you know, uh, granted... Do what you want with your own time. And if that's what makes you happy, that's awesome. I, I think that having somebody spend this amount of time <laughs> investing and in finding one thing and like getting a kick out of every time you have it. So that right. every time you update, you're like, oh, by the way, 26 or 27,000 and eight copies now. <laughs> Ding. Yep. <laughs> that to me is absolutely hilarious. Now, I've seen uh, pictures online of somebody having like an entire fridge full of the SNES yes, uh, Jurassic yes. Park game. <laughs> yes. Everybody's got their own kink. Exactly. But this man <laughs> takes the cake. This, that is, that is nowhere near 2,700 copies of <laughs> Jurassic Park. So this man has just upped the game. And I don't know what the thought process is behind this. Like if you're trying to corner the market so that if one time somebody's like, Hey, whatever happened to that Burger King game back from, you know, when we were kids called Sneak King, we got it with a value meal. Huh? I don't know. Let me go ahead and check, man. Nobody's got any copies whatsoever. Oh, there's one for sale. $10,000. All right. I'll buy it. He's definitely got a ways to go though, to corner the market on that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure a lot of those were probably dumped in a landfill a la ET, the extraterrestrial. Yeah. I, I wonder how many were ever made. It said there, I think there was 20, 2.7 million copies were created. Were sold. Sold. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. It doesn't say how many were made. 
And I think that that's probably where you're getting the thousand and fifty. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere there's a warehouse, right, a Burger exactly. King warehouse. But of the known copies that were sold, his makes up point zero zero one percent. That's that's something that you got to put on your resume. He's got a long way to go. <laughs> wow. Okay. Can you imagine being a kid and getting one of those games for Christmas? Oh yeah, because uh, I got uh, awful games, <laughs> a lot of awful games for Christmas. <laughs> That one is creepy as, as Sneak King, though. That, that is a creepy oh. mascot. All right. So why don't we go ahead and jump into our main topic for today. So from gamesindustry.biz, this year in numbers for 2021. Yes, it's year in number time. So scroll down for a selection of graphs, charts, and stats that aim to offer a summary of where games industry stands after another eventful year. The article features a series of infographics, but we pulled the most interesting stats for discussion here. All right. So first up, we have global games market value for 2021 was a total of $180.3 billion. Wow. It's a lot of scratch. It's a lot of cheddar. That is. <laughs> so of that $180.3 billion, mobile was over half of it. With 52%, 93.2 billion, 28% went to console, 50.4 billion, and 20% of that was PC, 36.7 billion. Box games earned 11.8 billion in revenue versus 168.5 billion for digital games. That's more than 10 times as much. Oh. You look at that number and it's like, we, I kind of suddenly feel like we should be grateful we ever get a physical copy of anything anymore. Right? <laughs> get off your phones, you damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, the top five games by worldwide downloads. Garena Free Fire, 229.8 million. Subway Surfers, 180.7 million. PUBG Mobile, coming in at 172 million. Bridge Race, 166.3 million. And Roblox at 158.7 million. I think I've only heard about three of those games. I've heard of yeah, two same. of them. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all old. I think that's the theme of, of this year in numbers. Can we get the, the sound bite from uh, Price is Right where it's like, da 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 da. I'll see what I can do. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm kind of interested on PUBG Mobile and how they took that and made it a mobile game because it's a first-person shooter game. And for me, with my eyes, I have to have a big monitor, a big monitor, yeah. to be able to yeah. see like the, the small variances in the environments and the people and everything like that. And I just don't think I could do that with a mobile phone. Uh, one of the most popular, though, mobile games for a while was uh, Fortnite. I mean, it's not the exactly the same, but very similar in the sense that you, um, it's a first person shooter. You got to aim, you got to build all that crap. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's strange to me because I know that they have professional leagues now for mobile shooters, but then like you have that opposite end of the spectrum where you have like the PC master race people who say that you're not even a real gamer if, unless you're using a, a keyboard and a mouse. <laughs> mm -hmm. PC master race. And then, so from there you can go all the way to mobile games playing professionally first person shooters and it's like wow it's the world's a wild place i'm just gonna say <laughs> so if we take a look at the top games by worldwide revenue uh, honor of kings got 2.8 billion pubg mobile also 2.8 billion genshin impact at 1.8 billion roblox got 1.3 billion and coin master 1.2 million again i only know two of those yeah it's not top five grossing Mobile games. It's just games. Right. But you happen to see what's up there, mobile and free to play. And I, like how much of that is kids who are actively spending their parents' money without their parents' knowledge? Oh, I, I, I would imagine it's, it's a lot. Much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You think it's not that much? I think it is. No, I think it's not that much. I think it can't happen for very long unless like the parents have so much money that they just don't notice it's gone. But if they're right. going, hey, where's the power bill money this month? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a Johnny story. spent it in, in <laughs> PUBG Mobile, you know, then you put a stop to it and it doesn't happen again. It's a fair point. But I, I got this cool skin, mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the, the, this is the first year that uh, my nephew asked for V-Bucks for his birthday and for Christmas. Oh, don't get me started on that. So that was an interesting change. I was like, what? <laughs> 
I was like, I didn't even know you played. <laughs> that is a constant thing in my house where my two boys are asking for V-Bucks because they play Fortnite religiously. And I have to sit there and have this conversation with them and say, I am no longer going to spend my money on V-Bucks for your game. If you want to spend the money on it, mm-hmm. that's fine. You earn your money. You spend it on that. And then in five to 10 years where you're no longer playing Fortnite, you look at you look back and see all of the money that you spent on this stuff and what you can't do with it. And then we'll talk. Hard lessons by Doug. Exactly. <laughs> I like to teach lessons. Wow. What can I say? <laughs> that was a no fun conversation. That's, <laughs> that's what that sounded like. <laughs> to be fair, I think about the things that I spent my allowance on when I was 12. And I didn't want them five years later anyway, even though they were physical items. <laughs> oh, no. So, oh, there's got to be one thing in there, right? No, I don't, not, I don't think so. All that bazooka bubble gum. <laughs> oh, bazooka. I've got this mass collection sitting in my room. Part <laughs> of the rock. <laughs> yeah, it's all just this big wad stuck on like your uh, bed post. Nice. Okay, and finally, a few final random numbers. The number of days it took PS5 to sell 10 million units, the fastest PlayStation to reach this milestone, was 248. Days of the Epic versus Apple court trial, that was 16 days. (laughs) That would felt like it plagued us all much longer than that. Indeed. The number of U.S. government agencies that have investigated Activision Blizzard this year totals at three. (laughs) One too many. One too many or three too many? Well, yeah, three too many. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) And finally, the number of CEOs at Riot Games, Ubisoft, and Activision Blizzard who have stepped down as a result of the massive cultural problems let to fester under their tenure, a big fat zero. No. Burn. (laughs) Yep. So that was 2021 gaming in numbers. What do you think? (laughs) I was interested to look up what, so, you know, the massive success of these games and the revenue that they've generated, like what, let's put that into kind of perspective. So if you think about it, Horror, or Honor of Kings made $2.8 billion. That is more than the GDP for 2021 for Belize, Bhutan, Cabo Verde, St. Lucia, and San Marino. (laughs) So an entire country combined, Combi- well, not combined, but uh, okay, yep. Collect, like okay. I mean, wow. if we, if we want to do combined, I can go way down the, the list. No, but, no, no, but that's <laughs> fine. I just was clarifying, just clarifying. Got it, got it. Uh, but if you look at the overall revenue that uh, the gaming industry pulled in, what is it, one hundred eighty point three billion? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at the GDP of Algeria, Qatar, Kazakhstan, Hungary, Angola, and Kuwait all have less than that. Kazakhstan. I know that one very well. <laughs> uh, they're uh, great producers of potassium. So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> great success. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just uh, think about that uh, from a perspective of when we were kids. I, it blows my mind that nowadays right. that's how much revenue gaming pulls in. Right. And it's from titles like Coin Master. What even is that? <laughs> right. Or Honor of Kings. It's it's all of that downloaded content. Coin Master. I'm going to look that one up. <laughs> I mean, that sounds right up there with Candy Crush. Oh, I played Candy Crush for a little bit. I, I'm willing uh, to admit that. I did. <laughs> I did. That was like one of the very few games that I had on my phone that I would play. And honestly, I don't play games on my phone anymore. It, I don't play mobile anything. All right. So I'm looking at this. It's... Hmm. What is it? It's like a village-based game where it looks like you run and own a village. Join your Facebook friends and millions of players around the world in attacks, spins, and raids to build your Viking village to the top. Got it. In-app products range from $0.99 to $374.99 per item. Okay. Who's spending 300 bucks on a mobile game? Oh, my people. This is nuts. All of these games, like we we haven't even heard of a bunch of them. You're looking at these numbers. It's crazy. They're all free to play. Well, they're all mostly all mobile or like uh, Genshin Impact free to play. Yep. I think they're, it's mobile as well. But you look at these insane numbers. And like I said, I, I'm surprised we ever get a physical release anymore. I'm, now I'm surprised we ever actually get like actual story-based games now. Right. Why doesn't every single game dev go and do this? You could hardly blame them if they did. It's nuts, this kind of money. I, I think the way that we have played games and the way we have loved games is uh, 
sadly, it's it's either over or it is coming to an abrupt end. Mm-hmm. What? No, just the, the way we used to appreciate it back in the day, you know. And I don't really know how to articulate this well um, because it's just a thought I just I just kind of popped in my head. I, I don't think the way that we used to experience a game and really appreciate it um, is going to be that way going forth because of all of the the DLC and the content. Mm-hmm. And like what we touched on earlier, you get a base package of a game. And now it's all about how much money you spend to make that game the experience that you want, as opposed to a game being released. And that's the experience that was designed. If you like it, great. If you don't, oh, well, we got your money. And I mean, that's the business model for a lot of things that have turned into streaming uh, elements, right? Where Mm -hmm. you go onto Netflix and it's just a whole bunch of movies they decide and curate for your region of the the, the planet. And that's what you watch, right? You're kind of, that's the, the blinders that you have on. Unless you use a VPN. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> which I do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so don't pretend. Don't pretend you're limited by by the licensing agreements that Netflix does. But nonetheless, but I'm paying even then, for it's that. Not like, <laughs> it's not like all the program that Netflix is putting out is all reality singing shows. But there's a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs> a good number of, of them, but we still get titles like, you know, Stranger Things. We get The Witcher. We get that kind of stuff. I hope we continue to get what what I would call from my bias perspective, actual quality content, mm-hmm. quality games, quality experiences, as opposed to Coin Master, which yes, I'm judging having not played. Sue me. <laughs> I'm not gonna play something called Coin Master. Give me a break. It is an objectively crappy name. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the worst name ever. Good story, good interaction, maybe good competition. That's what I appreciate about a video game, not just a cash grab. Definitely. But I think that what you're seeing is that a vast majority of people who are playing games, if they're playing mobile games, that's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to become immersed in a game. It's something that they do uh, while the TV's on, while they're sitting at, you know, about to go to bed and they just, they want to get to the next level of some kind of puzzle game. Right. Mm hmm. Which I think that we can have an overreaction to that based off of these numbers is that, oh my God, gaming might be dying. But realistically, that's not our market. That's not the gaming place that we uh, sit in. That's not our niche, right? We want a game that is its own experience as opposed to a mindless way to pass the time while you're also doing something else. Like you said, if you're waiting in line, mm-hmm. if you're you know waiting for your kid to be done with dance practice, if you are have the TV on, but you don't like what you're watching there either, so you're playing some mindless thing on the TV while you're playing some mindless thing on, the, on your phone. That's not what I want. I want something that's worth paying attention to, that's worth getting invested in, and not just a time waster. Agreed. And it's, it's like we just said, if you don't, if you don't like what's on the TV, change the channel. If you don't or like turn the game, it off. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do something different. But I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, no, I'll just listen to the TV while I'm scrolling through my phone and playing this game and yada, yada, yada. And I think, again, I still think there's a marketplace for, for what we're looking for. And I think that that, that won't necessarily die out uh, next year. Uh, eventually that might be something where people aren't interested in being a part of, or maybe it transforms into something a little bit more immersive. I don't know, based off of technology, but that, that marketplace still exists for us and we're still spending a lot of money doing it. So yeah, no, I agree. It's not going anywhere next year and maybe not the year after that, (laughs) but seriously, you look at these revenue numbers in the billions, and I'm sure, you know, obviously this is just the cream of the crop. For every honor of kings, there's probably a hundred thousand failures that didn't make it. Of course. But you look at these kind of numbers, and game developers are going to take notice. They already have. And it will change the gaming world. The question is, will we be able to continue to carve out our niche of what we like in the face of this sort of mobile free-to-play revolution? All right, so do we have anything that we want to add to, to this year in gaming as far as numbers are concerned? Play Hollow Knight. Play Hollow Knight is the <laughs> summation <laughs> That's of the takeaway from all of this. <laughs> and don't play Coin Master. <laughs> yeah, um, the gaming of the future is starting to suck. Looks like it might suck, so go play Hollow Knight. There, done. I love it. That's, that's the best moral of the story I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're going to turn that into a movie. <laughs> 
No. With Rachel McAdams. <laughs> Wait, what? And Ryan Gosling. No. No. <laughs> no. 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 Oh, God, no. That's horrible. No. <laughs> Play Hollow Knight in theaters this Christmas. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Professor Rybred's Gaming 101. And today our topic for discussion is not a game, it's not a console, but it is a person. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gunpei Yokoi. So I really wanted to talk about him because I think he is one of the most influential game developers of all time. He developed uh, the Nintendo Game Boy, the Game & Watch, the Virtual Boy, and even the D-Pad itself. So before I jump into this, uh, how familiar are you guys with uh, Mr. Yokoi? Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I know his list of accomplishments. Basically, like you said, yep. the Virtual Boy, and I'm sure you'll get at this later. The Virtual mm-hmm. Boy being uh, unsuccessful, so that caused his split with Nintendo. Yep. And then uh, from there, he went on and did a few other things, but. Excellent. So we'll go ahead and actually take a look at some of the bigger background for this. Uh, so if we if we take a look at Yokoi, he was actually born in Osaka, Japan uh, on September 10th, 1941, uh, which if you kind of think about that, that was actually during uh, World War II. So really his upbringing was post-Imperial Japan, uh, where traditional Japanese life kind of became or transformed into a strongly capitalist society. So he was in the middle of that, a lot of big changes that were happening in that country at that time. And uh, he actually ended up graduating from a university in Kyoto, Japan with a degree in electronics and uh, was hired by Nintendo in 1965 at the age of 24. And his job was to manage the assembly line for Hanafuda cards. And a year into his work, he actually caught the eye of the Nintendo president at the time, Hiroshi Yamauchi. Yamauchi walked by Yokoi's desk and actually saw a toy that he had just created in his spare time. So any any guesses as to what kind of toy this was? Uh, I don't remember. (laughs) I know because I've seen a documentary, but I don't remember. Once you say it, I'll know it. Sure. So uh, actually, this one is one I didn't know. So personally, but uh, it was it's it's basically an extending arm that he made for his own music, right? right, In his spare time. That's right. And uh, Yamauchi was so impressed by this little toy that he ordered Yokoi to make a legitimate product for that year's Christmas rush. So it was dubbed the Ultra Hand. <laughs> awesome name. <laughs> and it operates similar to a scissors where, you know, extending the handles, uh, when you pinch it together, it'll extend the, 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 uh, the reaching arm. If you pull them apart, it will retract the reaching arm. And on the other end of the Ultra Hand were two like bowl-shaped grips, and uh, they included a bunch of ball-like objects with it, as well as like stands for the balls. So, not the most, <laughs> I'll say, technically uh, advanced toy, but uh, a lot of fun for kids, and it did extremely well. So that kind of started the legacy uh, for Yokoi as he went on. So after making a couple of really successful toys for Nintendo, because at the time, again, remember, they were making mostly Hanafuda cards. They were starting to get into to bigger toy-like uh, things. And in the 70s, there was actually an oil sor- shortage when it came to plastics. So there was some decisions made at Nintendo in which they switched over from you know making standard toys into to more electronic stuff. Yokoi's like, big breakthrough when it comes to his legacy Uh, really came when one day he was traveling on a bullet train and he witnessed a businessman who was kind of bored and the guy was playing with his LCD calculator, just randomly pressing buttons, right? So tip tapping away. I think we've all done that once (laughs) in our lives, spelling things uh, with- Hey, look, what does this spell? (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Uh, But Yukoi saw this as kind of an opportunity, right? So he created a portable on-the-go gaming device and thus the Game & Watch was born. So, have either of you had uh, any experience either playing or owning a Game & Watch? I have uh, one Game & Watch. We have Mario's Cement Factory. Nice. That's a good one. Uh, Donnie, what about you? I used to own one when I was a kid. Um, I have since destroyed it or <sighs> it got lost or thrown away or what have you. Cannot tell you where that thing ended up. You know, I never had one. And I actually, this was not on my radar until I got into collecting. I was completely unaware that these things existed. Uh, but they they ended up making like 60 to 80 of them 
and basically it was a, a bunch of different LCD games, but they were much better than what I think we got with the entire electronic games, which I was very familiar right. with. Yeah, much better. Yeah. And and I don't know if, if most of them throughout history have gone the way of, of the one that Donnie just described, but I never see them ever. They, I, I get the feeling that they were not that popular in the US, but maybe globally they were in Japan, of course. But uh, yeah, more than likely. Yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of really great examples of this. So uh, if you look at the Game & Watch itself, for if you're not familiar, it's a two-screen LED LCD portable device. The, the bottom screen is where the game and the top screen is has a clock, basically. But uh, Yokoi actually individually designed the, the controls for the portable system. So he is the one who took a look at how am I going to essentially make this so that it's an intuitive way to play this and took a look at Donkey Kong controls and decided that... Having that many button inputs would have been cumbersome, so he settled on four. The X and Y axis, which of course turned in uh, to the D-pad. So if you have ever touched a controller and saw a cross on there <laughs> in any capacity whatsoever, you can thank Gunpei Yokoi. Uh, like I said, it was the impetus to, to him really having a legacy when it came to Nintendo. So he uh, advanced his career quite a bit as a result of that. So uh, during the 80s, he was there to supervise uh, the development of Donkey Kong, along with uh, a very famous uh, Mr. Miyamoto. He also worked on Mario Brothers with Miyamoto, Kid Icarus, and Metroid. So uh, the guy's got quite a pedigree uh, when it comes to good games for the NES. Uh, but he also helped develop Rob, the robot. And then uh, eventually it turned into him developing the most popular creation ever for, for him, uh, which of course was the Nintendo Game Boy. Have you guys heard of this before? <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with that one. And the thing for me is the reason that I pecked uh, Gunpei Yokoi for this as well is that the Game Boy was a constant companion for me as a kid. I absolutely loved that thing. It was mine. I had a fanny pack, which I'm sure... Donnie's yes. really, really happy about. <laughs> yes, let's hear more about the fanny pack. It was black and uh, hot pink. And uh, oh, yeah, those were some hot colors back in the 90s. Oh, man, man. those were the, the, the colors. Uh, if yeah. it had only some neon yellow on it, I think we would have been <laughs> full 90s. So uh, the interesting part about the, the Game Boy is it kind of followed along with the philosophy of Gunpei Yokoi. The term that he uses to describe his philosophy... Uh, is lateral thinking with withered uh, or seasoned, depending on the translation <laughs> out of Japanese, <laughs> technology. And he's, uh, he's quoted to say, Nintendo's way of adapting technology is not to look for state-of-the-art, but to utilize mature technology that can be mass-produced cheaply. Which I think <laughs> that explains the entire philosophy of Nintendo since their existence. Yes... In a way. <laughs> I've made some weird things. Right. The Wii U is a tough one. The, the, the Virtual Boy. I don't think actually, if you look at it, the Virtual Boy isn't an example of doing that. It's actually, I think, the opposite. That was innovative. Right. That was 3D technology. Exactly. That was, I mean, you're talking about that kind of technology back in the 90s. There were very few arcade games that were trying to introduce 3D technology. And I think that was on the doorstep. We were there. It was just a little bit too early. It gave people an aneurysm, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the execution wasn't that great, but the idea was. So, unfortunately... That was kind of his last experience with Nintendo was the Virtual Boy. And, and similar to what we talked about, his philosophy with that desire to create products that, that utilize old school technology to create a great mm -hmm. experience. As you were pointing out, Donnie, that wasn't the case. And they kind of took a risk uh, with the Virtual Boy. And as a result of that, it was probably one of the biggest flops that Nintendo's ever had. Released less than 25 games. It was discontinued a year later. Obviously, it did not work out. <laughs> the Power Glove had a longer lifespan. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Yep. Sorry, you've done all these other great things for us, but this one colossal flop, we're going to have to let you go, dog. Right. And the thing is, that he he's listed as he retired from Nintendo after the Virtual Boy. And, and Nintendo, of course, uh, does not attribute publicly that uh, poor performance uh, was the reason that he left, you know? Right. But the guy was 55 at the time. Uh, so he went on to do a lot of other things like helping create the Wonder Swan um, among uh, other 
myriad uh, of different uh, hardware as well as software uh, for, for many game developers. Uh, but unfortunately, on October 4th, 1997, uh, Yokoi was riding in a car driven by one of his associates uh, on an expressway in Japan, and their vehicle ended up rear-ending a truck. And after the two men had kind of got out uh, to inspect the car and the damage, unfortunately, uh, Yokoi was hit and uh, fatally injured by a passing oh, no. car. Yeah. Huge loss for the gaming industry, of course. Absolutely. You know, taking a look at the legacy that he created, his impact on the gaming industry cannot be understated. In 2003, uh, Yokoi was actually posthumously received the Lifetime Achievement Award of the International Game Developers Association, and Games Trailers placed him on the list of the top 10 game creators of all time, which I think is well warranted. <laughs> Very well deserved. Uh, definitely. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, kind of this biopic into Gunpei Yokoi. Maybe got a chance to provide you guys with some additional insight into his life and his legacy. That ending was going to make me cry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so as a reminder, if you do have any suggestions uh, for, for future episodes, uh, feel free to reach out to us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. And we might feature your idea on an episode. All right, that takes us to the end of today's podcast. So thank you for listening to episode two of the Gamers Week podcast. This episode is just the second of our big three launch. So if you enjoyed this, uh, this show, there's one more episode waiting for you right now. Hit play on the next one and keep on listening. And if you want to connect with us or with Gamers Week, you can follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at GamersWeekPodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash GamersWeekPodcast which we have not <laughs> actually officially uh, streamed live on yet, but that is coming. <laughs> but we will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or you can support us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash gamersweek to get access to our awesome Patreon-only Discord. So finally, since you made it all this way to the end of the episode, please leave us a review to let us know how we did. While you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Thank you, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye. Okay, bye.